That's what I was leaving in pursuit of, was the ability to build something where, number one, no one was gonna bully me. Number two, I don't wanna have a company where anyone else is gonna be bullied. And number three, I want to be able to build the kind of company that I always wanted to work for. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. Jill, I think for this episode, I want to start by taking us back in time. And the reason I want to do that is because I want really to be able to talk about all the mistakes that we made. Maybe not all of them. We don't want the episode to be that long. No, please no. (laughs) But I want to talk through some of the lessons that we had to learn the hard way as we've been growing and scaling our business so that hopefully we can save you, oh dear listener, some of those headaches and troubles. And Jill, I really want to start in our time machine by going back to before you even joined the business to what was going on for you at your last day job, because I think that sets the scene for what was to come. You mean the thing that was so chaotic that just, yeah, was such fun? (laughs) Well, let's start before the chaos, because so for context, Jill and I both worked in higher education. Jill, how long were you working there? I think it was close to five years. Yeah, it was close to five for me as well. And we both worked in the same department to start. That's not where we met, but we we did end up working in the same department for a while. And then we, we went our own ways from there. And that department that we worked in together was, for me, it was such a good experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really well structured. There was a very good, very well-defined team dynamic for, for as much as the word or the phraseology of the couple of years was role clarity. Yeah, everyone wants to know, of, what's your role clarity? <laughs> Are you clear on what your job is? There was a lot of clarity. Like it was really well-defined and the teams worked together really well. And the projects that we worked on, again, were it was very put together, I think is the best yeah. way to put it. I remember I learned so much working in that environment because I remember the director at one point getting together with the entire department and he was talking about his vision for the department. And this might've been before you came in. I, I can't remember, Jill, if you were present for this conversation, but I remember him saying that he wanted this department to be the department that everyone wanted to poach from but nobody wanted to leave. And that really struck me. Mm -hmm. And and the reason that I bring that up is because you did get poached. We actually both got poached from that department. And in retrospect, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. Interestingly enough, the wanting to leave bit wasn't really so much on my side. I actually did want to stay. This was an interdepartmental project that we were working on that I essentially got seconded to for over a year. And the difference between working in the department that we were in and working for this project in this interdepartmental team was like night and day. I went from something really well structured, things were really well defined, there was clear lines of communication. You knew what you were supposed to be doing and you knew what the other people around you were supposed to be doing. And anytime you weren't sure on any of that, you could always just go and ask. 
Yeah. And there and, were answers. And there were answers. And people were, were willing to talk with you about it and go through all of those aspects. But went into this project, and I'll be honest, it was a bit of a hot mess. <laughs> um, there were two of us, actually, that were trying to make sure that things were very well-defined, because any project that doesn't have a well-defined outcome isn't going to be particularly successful. And we're going to talk about that in a second, because we actually had to learn that lesson a couple of times. So this At is a couple of like, different levels. Yeah, exactly. This is like the, the first seed of this. That, yeah. Like I said, you'll start to see the seeds of this conversation as we go forward. Yeah, exactly. The whole point of a pilot project is to test things out and to see whether or not the solution is going to work. And there should be, should, using that word intentionally here, no judgment around this. If it works, great. If it doesn't, great. You now know. You're not going to go forward with a solution that actually isn't going to do what you want. And we tried the pilot project, and I remember going to my supervisor and saying, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to do what you need it to. We need to pull out now. It's clearly shown. And they didn't. And they continued to go forward, and things just continued to go further off the rails in a lot of ways. And not just that, but just before you entered into this project or, or right as you were getting started and, and so you were still in the, I, I think we can pull this out of the fire stage. That was right around the time when I was looking at leaving my position because from my perspective, I remember so clearly one day I had been working on a project. I was doing some budget and forecasting and that kind of stuff. And I had sent it to my boss and was, I thought, what they wanted. I had put in all kinds of time and effort into it. She, she actually got it and she called me and said, you know, I need to see you in my office. Okay. So I walked over to the office and I sat down across the desk from her. And I'll never forget the one part of the conversation where she said to me, I'm not going to call you stupid, but I don't know how you think this could be okay. Anytime someone starts a sentence with, I'm not trying to call you stupid, but Mm -hmm. that's ultimately what's happening. And so I had this experience where I was being bullied and that was pretty much the last straw for me. Like I was really frustrated. I wanted more autonomy. I wanted to be able to have the kind of job where I could express myself and do my best work and build something different, something I could be proud of. And it's interesting because not a few months later, you find yourself in this project and you ended up being bullied as well. Yeah. So not long after the, that, the individual that I was working on building structure with in this project was forced out, the new project lead began not just even micromanaging me, but as you said, bullying me, approaching me in public about certain things. And it was frustrating and it was so disempowering. to be in. When you compare that with what we both ended up moving into in the positions that ended our corporate careers, for me, the thing that I really reflect on is the importance of having structure to be able to create, for me, the kind of company you always wanted to work for. And ultimately, when I left that position, that's what I was leaving in pursuit of, was the ability to build something where, number one, no one was going to bully me. Number two, I don't want to have a company where anyone else is going to be bullied. And number three, I want to be able to build the kind of company that I always wanted to work for. Yeah. And for me, I had all of those. And then the other key piece was also that 
I, I mentioned it before, empowerment, right? To go from empowered to make the decisions, empowered to support my team that I did, and then to have this come over and be disempowered in the way that I was, was so, in a lot of ways, enlightening. Yeah, it, I think it set the stage yeah. for what was to come. Yeah, and, and it really, it was a good lead up, actually, a good introduction to how to, what you wanted to have as a business. Yeah, because sometimes I think you have to know what you don't want in order to know what you do Before want. you can figure out what you do want, exactly. Exactly, yeah. We both were working in this environment, and, and I left about eight or ten months before you did, I think. It was not quite a year, I think, that I had left before you... It was over a year, actually. Was it a year and a half? See, a year and a half. Don't ask me about timelines. Jill is always the one who can tell you when things happened. I have no clue. You, otherwise, you would have worked with me on that project? Oh, good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I take the leap. I decided I'm not going to be bullied. I remember sitting down with my mentor and saying, you know, if I actually tried, I could probably make a go of this. I didn't really know what this was. At the time, I was styling myself as a, a freelance web designer and web developer. Both Jill and I have degrees in computer science and background in programming. So I didn't really know what I was doing. But through all kinds of twists and turns, I found myself essentially running operations for a couple of different online businesses. Tara, at the time she was Tara Gentili, now Tara McMullen was one of our clients. We had a few other clients as well. I say we, that's a habit. It was me <laughs> at that point. I was um, in the background. You were in the background. You were always there in the background. But I remember it was right around Christmas time and I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was plotting out what my next year was going to be. And I was trying to like block in, I'm gonna do this much for this client and this much for this client. And I couldn't make it work. And it was like this moment of <laughs> extreme clarity, the extreme clarity <laughs> that comes when you realize, oh crap, I'm in trouble. So if I couldn't make it work on paper, I think it's Brian Moran that, that says this in the book, The 12 Week Year. If I can't make this work on paper, it's not gonna work in reality. And what's more, I was looking at all of these time blocks and I was like, I could hire an admin, I could hire a VA, I could hire an OBM, I could hire someone to be a helper, but that's not actually going to free me up enough because people right now are buying my brain and there's only one of those and only so many people can have a piece of it before it falls apart. Yeah. And before you so, explode. Well, exactly, right? So I don't know if you remember that conversation. We were driving, and this is always when we have the best conversations. It was always dark. Not. We were driving, it was dark, and you were talking me through this. And I remember all of a sudden you had this brainwave. I think it was ultimately, you're in a position in your job, and it's not working. I've got more work than I can handle. Why don't we just have you come and join the business? Yeah, and it evolved into a, a logistics conversation after that because I always go straight into logistics. That's just me. Yeah, um, that's why I'm like the bigger picture visionary and you tend to be more the detail level, the integrator type person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you'd think that if we had such complementary skill sets that this would have been an easy journey. <laughs> and of you course, there, there are hiccups that come along the way and there's two or three hiccups that I think that we should talk about because we have seen these same 
challenges come up so many times with our clients when they hit this stage. Because remember, what we're talking about here is the practice of actually getting you to be more than just a pair of hands was (laughs) not instantaneous. It was lengthy. It was lengthy because at the time, I still thought of it as my business. Mm -hmm. And more than that, I didn't know what it meant to not be the business. And also, too, I think there was an aspect of curse of expertise in there, too, where you didn't know all the things that you knew. They just were so intrinsic to your knowledge that you just you worked with them. And that's where I think one of the biggest ones that I always go back to came out, which was with regards to terminology and yeah. speaking of clarity that we yeah, were being able to communicate before. clearly it was a huge thing that we had to spend a lot of time figuring out how do you clearly communicate expectations? And I know you've got a favorite story that you love to tell, which makes me look so great, but go ahead. But it is, it's a classic example and you see it It all the time, right? Like it was of what, about a month and a half, two months after I had been working in the business full time, I had just started to find my feet. I had a good sense of where everything was going. And you asked me to create a deliverable, uh, actually a a three month plan Mm -hmm. for this one particular client that had this goal that we had just been talking about and me coming from the background that I had doing all of plans, doing all the logistics and stuff that I was doing in my previous full-time role, I'm like, plan, not a problem. I've got this. And then I gave you the plan. (laughs) You should see your facial expression, folks. You should see the look on her face. Oh, that did not go well. (laughs) My version of plan, which was a week by week kind of milestone high level tasks level of responsibilities, what needed to be accomplished when to make this happen was not Brianne's version of a plan. Brianne's version of a plan was a three month milestone, high level breaking out by months. Yeah. And this is why it was a mistake that we had to learn. Like part of the mistake was not clarifying the expectation, but the bigger mistake for me as the person who was ostensibly owning the business at that point. $10 word. There's our $10 word count for episode number two, (laughs) ostensibly. (laughs) Oh boy. But the bigger lesson for me was that I was trying to empower you. But at the same time, I still had very strong ideas about how the output should look. And those two things were in conflict. They were in contrast. And I see this a lot with our clients, and I think you do as well, Jill, where they want to give ownership. They want to empower their team. They want to elevate their team, but then they're attached to what the deliverable looks like. And so it's not even that I didn't clearly communicate the expectation. The bigger problem is that I said, go make a plan, and then I didn't trust your genius to be able to create exactly what was needed. Yeah, and as such, you question how I created it, and... And that started what ended up being the deliverable. It's not that either of us were wrong in how we defined a plan. Mm -hmm. We both were right. They were both plans. But it was that we both had different ideas of what this plan needed to look like. Yeah. And this is where that whole clarity of communications thing, right, comes back up. And where it ended up leading for us was our first interpersonal contract. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. That's funny. In the Um, journal that I had with me at the time, we were sitting down at the cafe, we had our drinks and I'm like, okay, so you had another thing. Basically, you were going to give me, quote unquote, another chance. And (laughs) so I just want to interject here and talk about how I 
was mirroring the last boss I had unintentionally. Where I was saying, I wasn't saying it through these words, but right through my actions, what I was actually saying was, I know you think this is a plan, but it's not. And that wasn't something I was trying to communicate, but inadvertently, I hadn't learned the skill of being able to let go of the how and focus on the outcome. And as a result, I ended up creating the exact work dynamic that I had been trying to escape from when I left my day job. The thing I swore I would never do, here I am recreating that pattern in the business because I hadn't ever learn different. But Jill, you had the experience of doing it differently because you had managed and been very successful at managing and leading a team. And I think that's where some of this idea for the contract came in. It is actually, that's exactly where it came in from. And and granted, the whole signing of it was me trying to have fun and, and interject a little bit of levity into the whole situation. Again, the idea of clearly defining what the result looked like or wanted to be looked like was where this where the contract really got into is what is it actually that you want what is the yeah. result what is what do you want the result to look like by the way she's she's talking about a contract here what that means is that she pulled out a page in her notebook <laughs> and she wrote down essentially defining the outcome more clearly right we would now call them victory conditions yes we would we defined the victory conditions of this is what has to be in place for us to agree that this has been completed successfully successfully and then she had to sign it. I had to sign it. But well, more importantly, the, you forgot the one piece, the, the one very important piece. Which that's was what I'm that, saying. There were some amendments that I wanted to make because there no. was some terminology that I didn't agree with. So we had to like initial and countersign. There was the amendments, but there was also the point of you wouldn't micromanage or care about how I achieved those results. How you were to evaluate the success on was based on the criteria we had defined, not on how I accomplished it. Exactly. And like I said, that became what we now would consider victory conditions. So anytime there's a project or a quarterly planning, annual planning, new team onboarding, all of these things, anytime there's expectations, what we do is we create a set of victory conditions. This is the outcome. And these are the criteria for what success has to look like. And if you can meet those criteria, then I don't, I can't complain. So long as you meet these criteria and you get the outcome, I can't complain about how you get there. And that was such a big lesson. And I would say that lesson, we've been working together in the business for what now? I'm not even going to try and guess because you're going to tell me I'm wrong. So you tell me how long have we been working in the business together? Almost four years. So four years. And I, I want to emphasize that when we started, it was my business and Jill was coming in as an employee and as a team member. So I'm talking about empowering her and giving her responsibility. I'm not talking about her stepping into a co-founder role. That came later. Just to interject here, to be fair, we are also in a personal relationship. Which <laughs> Yeah, that makes things a little more complicated. Makes things a little more complicated because it wasn't like at the end of the day, we could go home or be at home and not talk to each other all night. Well, <laughs> I we think could we try. did that once or twice. We, we did do that <laughs> once or twice, but you get the idea. Being boss and employee, being co-partners in our own personal lives was an interesting dynamic to, to add on to that. So just to be fair, I'm just putting that out there. Well, it, it really forced us to have to deal with the communication problems and we couldn't yeah. avoid them. We couldn't just leave it at work and then go home and vent to our partner about, oh, my boss is terrible. We, we couldn't I tried do that, that once. It really didn't go well. <laughs> it didn't work. But then 
there was, I think, the what I would consider the second big lesson yeah. that that we had to learn. Once we found our rhythm in the business, we, we got to a point where, you know, yes, I was there. I was supporting you as an employee. I could do the deliverables. I was even doing a little bit of the client face-to-face. But with it still being your business, there was still, you were still the bottleneck. There yeah. was still just one of you. Mm-hmm. And making that transition, I think, away from you being the business to having the business be its own entity was the next big piece, I think. I mean, my identity had been wrapped up in this business by this point for five or six years where people were buying access to me. They were buying access to my brain. They wanted to work with me personally. There was definitely a transition process. And in fact, I remember actually at one point having a sales conversation and the question came up of, am I going to be having coaching with Brianne? Note the coaching actually is with me. And the disappointment that individual had because they weren't going to be speaking with you one-on-one in that particular way. Yeah. And yeah. It was interesting because it wasn't just one conversation. There was a period of, I would say just two or three months where that was actually quite a frequent question. And by that point, when I was having those conversations, I knew enough to be able to say, you don't want to do coaching calls with me. Trust me, you don't want me. You want Jill. (laughs) And fortunately, there were a few people that took that enough on faith to be able to apply that transfer of trust from, okay, I trust Brienne, therefore I'm going to trust Jill. But before we could even get to that point, I needed to go through an evolution of Mm -hmm. having the business be something that is not me being the business. I needed to, as you said, treat the business as something that existed apart from me. Because as solopreneurs, as entrepreneurs, you spend so much time embodying the business that when you start to talk about or think about taking a step back and letting the business embody itself, it's like, who am I then? Yeah. Who am I? If I'm not the business, if I am not the product, if I am not the one, who am I? What am I? Yeah, what does it mean to have a business? Well, I think first, what does it mean to run a business, not be the business? And then the next level, which is the level that we're stepping into right now, is what does it mean to have a business, not run a business? Mm-hmm. How many times did you and I have the conversation of, is it actually valuable to the client? Oh my gosh, I'm not on this client call. Is that going to be okay? Yeah. And as long as I believed that would be an issue, it continued to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Because you continued to speak of it as an issue. Yeah. You continued to show up with it as an issue. I think we were even working with clients on separating themselves from the business before I actually fully appreciated what that would mean for, for me and for us. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I say that is because it wasn't really and truly until we committed, I committed to our core offer, which is called the Academy now, that's our front end. And we have another program called Leaders Institute for the graduates of the Academy. But it wasn't until I committed to that being the core offer, but we took it and we we codified it and we put it together and we structured it and we designed it so that it was done. 
And mm-hmm. I don't know how many years it took where I would say it was done. <laughs> and then a few months later, I was like, oh, it's not selling the way I want it to. Oh, we need to go change it again. Once I truly finally committed to, no, this is the offer. This is the thing we're going to scale. Then I was able to be able to step back and say, okay, if this is the thing we're going to scale, then it's not my job to go in and fix things when they're not working. At this point, I need other people who are better than me to come in and add their zone of genius to make it better. And I need to go focus on other things in the business. I need to focus on being the visionary. And that means I don't need to be recreating the offer. I don't need to go be changing it when doing events and doing this, that, and the other thing. We've got the core offer. I need to stop solving that problem and actually go be a visionary. I'm I'm smiling here because the old adage comes up when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. You, You just keep making those same changes over and over again, not recognizing that it's, you need to change the tool that's in your hand first. Yeah. And just to be clear here, like the challenges weren't all just on your side. I had challenges too with that whole transformation because for me, it was coming from being an employee and being a, what we now call a helper to Mm -hmm. actually stepping into and becoming more and to take Mm -hmm. ownership of the things that you were empowering me to take ownership of. Because like previously, and, and you had mentioned how you had started to create an environment similar to the one that you had left previously I had tried to take ownership because that was an aspect that I was familiar with having created that for my team having been part of that in the previous department you were an intrapreneur you were never going to be an entrepreneur going off and starting your own business and that kind of thing but you were a hundred percent and are a hundred percent an intrapreneur yeah, absolutely. And so when, when I came in, we first started working together, right? I was still in that entrepreneur headspace and I had to take that step back due to the various things that, that went on and that's okay. They because, are what they because are. Because I wasn't ready to have someone actually contributing to the growth of the business. Yeah. And so for me to step back into that intrapreneur perspective took a bit of time as well. And it, it took a lot of I won't say coaching from you, but encouragement from you that it was okay for me to step back into that mm-hmm. and to, yeah. to know that I could make those empowered decisions and those empowered choices. And it would, I would be supported in that. Yeah. And that's something I see quite often too, for our clients as they go and they start handing over the ownership, even if keep in mind the, the things that we're talking about here, they're, we ended up as co-founders. We ended up because we're an equal partners in the business because we're equal partners in life. And because I have as much passion for the things that we do as you do. But even for those that are solopreneurs or like they don't have a partner or co-founder, right? The same thing can happen because their people are so used to taking those same steps. Yeah. They're used to being given direction. They're used to be treated as a helper, told what to do. Yeah. There's a whole transformative process that the entire business has to go through. Yeah. Not just the entrepreneur, but it's the entrepreneur that has to start the process. It's not you being the product, but also so that you're not thinking about it as being the product by continuing to go in and try to solve all the problems with the product by yourself. Or in my case, seeing product (laughs) problems where there weren't product problems and trying to solve those and spending maybe two years. You guys, we spent, I don't know how many years bumping up against the quarter million dollar threshold, 
bumping up against that, up and down and up and down against that every year. We couldn't seem to break through. And the thing that finally broke us through that was to say, guess what? We're not going to mess with the offer anymore. The offer is done. Let's go solve other problems. And so with that, we've been talking about the the challenges that we faced. We've been talking about the lessons that we've learned. But now we want to start talking about in our next episode, the structures of a business, the framework in essence that we learned from all of this that can apply to any situation. We call this the visionary CEO framework. And it's really based around that idea of structure that we talked about way back at the beginning, the thing that made that job so much better for Jill than the one she went into next. The thing that ultimately allowed us to transform our business and grow our business from being just me to being something that is scalable and is growing and is having a massive impact. We're going to share with you those three structures and the Visionary CEO framework next time on the Visionary CEO podcast. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag visionaryceopodcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey, it's Brianne here. I just wanted to let you know that everything we're talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with clients at the Visionary CEO Academy. We've got a great program for strategists, coaches, and other online business owners that helps you scale from low or mid six figures to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, while keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more info and to get started.